0: Hello and welcome to Watershed's May podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove. I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. We are now in our second month of lockdown. I still can't quite get my head around what is going on. I don't know about you, but I move from thinking about the scale of the impact, what is currently going on via news, thinking what will the world look like post-pandemic, to very quickly coming back to today, this moment and making myself another coffee. Never has mindfulness been more necessary. John Cabot zinn who's not only a Professor Emeritus of Medicine, but brought mindfulness together with the medical, wrote a book in 1990 with the all-too-prescient title, Full Catastrophe Living. He wasn't messing about, was mister Cabot Kabat-Zinn. Mental health is extremely important, and especially at this time, I do recommend John Cabot Zinn. He did a talk at Camden Town Hall in 2013, which interestingly was attended by a lot of health service and social service workers. You can find it by searching for An Evening with John Cabot Zinn Action for Happiness, and it's well worth a listen or a watch. Amidst the wider dreadful impact of the virus, my own thoughts turn inevitably to cinema and film. And I cannot deny that there is something of an existential crisis going on. And I'm not talking (laughs) just personally. it's about the very nature of the cinematic, given that at this current time, it no longer exists. What does cinema mean when there is no cinema? Maybe, just maybe, like Schrodinger's Cat, all the films we have ever seen or might see are playing in those empty auditoria up and down the country. It's easy to forget how young, in relative terms, film and cinema are. It was just over 125 years ago that moving images were first made. Arguments still reign about who did what when, who got there first. But I can tell you something. A Bristol boy called William Fries Green was an early adopter, developing and innovating with the technology. We'll be finding out more about him and his contribution at next year's Cinema Rediscovered. 2021 marks the centenary of Freeze Green's death. In France, the Lumiere brothers were doing likewise, and after much testing of the new medium, they concluded that it didn't have a future. In hindsight, they came to that conclusion, I believe, because there was no real market for the moving image. It was only with the arrival of the cinema building that serious money could be made. The growth of cinemas and cinema attendance through the first half of the 20th century was exponential. Cinema was the affordable entertainment of its day. In the UK, admissions peaked in the late 1940s at around 1,600 million. That was an average annual attendance of 32 visits per person. Of course, what cinemas had was exclusivity. You couldn't exactly watch. Carol Reed's Odd Man Out, or that thrilling new film with Robert Mitchum, Jane Greer and Kurt Douglas, anywhere else? The arrival of television in the 1950s was the first of many challenges to the primacy of a trip to the cinema. The second half of the 20th century saw a steady decline in cinema going, reaching a nadir of 50 million admissions in 1983, equivalent to one annual visit per person. I think that may have been the first time I heard the phrase the death of cinema. However, the arrival of two American phenomena, multiplexes and blockbusters, courtesy of Star Wars and Jaws, saw steady growth over the latter part of the century. Annual admissions in the UK now sit, or should I say sat, at around 170 million, which averages out at approximately three annual visits Per person. Of course, people are probably on average still watching 32 films, or even more, just not all in the cinema. Until COVID 19, the arrival of digital was the fundamental existential crisis for cinema. As far as I am aware, no one had a 35mm projector in their house. Maybe Augie, one of the founders of the Cube Cinema in Bristol, Augie is a real champion of the analogue experience but it certainly wasn't and isn't standard domestic kit. Digital not only got rid of the medium of film itself, it allowed for portable domestic technology, as well as creating the potential for platforms in the world wide web where films could be made available and watched on a range of devices. I remember coming back from the Cannes Film Festival in 2002 and raving about Alexander Sakurov's Russian Ark I raved about this single take achievement made possible by digital to a colleague who worked for Hewlett-Packard Research Labs in Bristol. He was working on his computer in Watershed Cafe Bar and as soon as the words spilled out of my mouth, his hands were poised at his keyboard and he asked me, where can I watch it? My analogue brain realised then that this is the inexorable logic of digital once something is a digital file, it can in theory be available anywhere. The commercial world has held back the inexorable by holding on to the theatrical window, an agreed time period where films are only available in cinemas. In these strange times, we are now seeing an exponential growth in online demand, increased subscriptions to streaming platforms. Disney Plus will put out the latest Star Wars franchise exclusively on their platform. Virtual cinema has become a thing, and participative viewing through social media now a regular activity. Wherefore are thou cinema? Or as French film critic André Bazin kept asking, very simply, what is cinema? Film director Paul Schrader gave something of a brilliant reply to this a few years ago. He made a short film for the 70th edition of the Venice Film Festival, which you can find by searching Paul Schrader, Venice, 70. During it, he says, cinema is no longer just a projected image in a darkened room. That is the 20th century. He says it whilst filming himself, the whole bunch of GoPros attached to his body. I always argued that cinema post-digital was part of a continuum of ways people can watch films. As I mentioned to someone on Twitter recently, I just wish that the collective experience of watching a film in a darkened auditorium had a role in this current necessary evolution. Until then, we continue our partnership with online platforms, Mubi, BFI Player and Curzon On Demand. Our page on BFI Player is a curated selection of films that have a connection with Watershed's programme, including Amazing Grace, the extraordinary documentary of Aretha Franklin recording her gospel album, and Japanese film Onibaba, which we were planning to screen as part of Cinema Rediscovered in July, plus a selection of free-to-watch archive films and shorts. If you go to player.bfi.org.uk forward slash watershed, you can see the whole selection. There is a fantastic Jean Renoir, Jean Gabin double bill on Mubi this month. Grand Illusion is Renoir's classic anti-war film, and La Bette Humaine, a hot-blooded forerunner of film noir. Also on Mubi is Chilean director Pablo Lorraine's Emma, which we were scheduled to screen at Watershed last month. Finally, in a month which sees one of the most important events in the film calendar cancelled, a group of festivals have come together with YouTube to present an online film festival, We Are One, which starts May 29th and runs for 10 days. Festivals involved include Cannes, as well as Tribeca, who have initiated the event. Any proceeds will go to help the World Health Organisation. That's all for this month. Keep watching and keep safe.